Hello and welcome to the Life Lessons Podcast. Today's episode is with Steve Payne. I met Steve two years ago at an old job of mine. We met by serendipity and he has been a client and a dear friend of mine since then. Steve helped develop the Transtar system here in Texas and now operates multiple businesses including a client-focused and property development firm. Enjoy the lessons. start with your origin story origin story meaning where do you come from uh you know what was childhood like what, how, did, how did it affect you okay all right um uh, i am originally from uh, i was born in a little county called uh, breakridge county in in western kentucky 60 miles uh, west of louisville farming community when i was born in 1955 uh, there was probably about 7,000 people in the county uh, today there's only 20,000 and it's a uh, farming community primarily uh, it, back then it was when I was born it was tobacco and and uh, cattle cattle operations so anyway we um, I have five brothers and sisters so there were six of us we were sharecroppers when I was a small kid poor poor as a, we refer to it as poor as a snake so uh, we were sharecroppers and that's how we subsisted for years uh, until I was about uh, eight or nine years old. Anyway, make a long story short, that's where I started. But one of the things that we did have was that we had a big family, extended family, um, a lot of support. The first, I still remember the first time I realized that I was poor it was the first day that I went to school. Never even thought about it. I go, something's wrong here. <laughs> I was six. Like, uh, this ain't right. So anyway, make a long story short. Um, I went to a, uh, a rural parochial school called St. Ramos, went to grade school and high school uh, there. Um, raised on the farm, you know, like I said, and you know, I, uh, until my father went to work for a steel mill, which was, uh, I think I was eight or nine years old. We went from uh, basically Poverty to middle class in less than a year. Wow. Yeah, because you have income. Mm -hmm. You have, quote, real income, as opposed to wondering what you're going to get at the end of the year for that crop you have no control over. So, anyway, that's 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 the environment that I came from. So, wow. And um, did you end up going to college there? Yeah, um, actually, uh, my first year in college, I went to the University of Kentucky. And how I picked the University of Kentucky is that uh, two of my best friends were going there. <laughs> they were as bad as I was. Like, all we knew is that we were going to college. So, picked that. I was there for a year. Then I transferred from that college to a uh, college college, which is now a university called Brescia University now. Uh, it's a small liberal arts uh, college, and my sister went to school there. And other friends that I went to high school, they had gone there because it was a, you know, that's what they picked. Well, I just transferred from a school. I mean, let's, let's think about it. Um, there were 20,000 students in the University of Kentucky when I was there. I came from a rural setting where there wasn't that many people in the whole county, let alone in the school. 
So anyway, it, it worked out okay. Uh, but I went to Brescia and I'm glad I did because it was a very small, they had like a thousand students. It was in a, the third largest town in Kentucky called Owensboro, you know, which I had family that lived there. So it was, it was really uh, a very comfortable transition. And my interest at the time was in uh, liberal arts education. So um, I just walked right into it. Where did, where did you end up studying? I have an undergraduate degree in uh, sociology, which is uh, for most people, it's that's not, sociology is a study of, of human societies. An undergraduate degree in English literature uh, and an undergraduate degree in history. Wow. Yeah. How did, how did you make your way down here? When I graduated from Russia, I uh, needed to get a job. So I worked, I finally aggravated somebody to the point and said, look, I know somebody who will hire you. And uh, I wanted to go into urban planning. Don't know why, it just seemed like a good thing to do. And it, it sort of fit, uh, fitted in with, with some of the, uh, the work I had done in college. So I was hired by uh, what is the equivalent of the Houston Galveston Area Council here. It was called Green River Area Development District. It is a uh, quasi-governmental entity that's function is to help communities develop uh, economically. And I wound up in the transportation department simply by serendipity. Um, figured out real quick, the transportation department always had money, everybody else was struggling. <laughs> I wanted to go back to graduate school. When my uh, head of my department, sociology, I went to speak to her about, said, look, I need to go to graduate school. Everybody I work with has a graduate degree, so let's figure this out. Mm -hmm. You know, if I don't get one, I'm just going to be standing there waving my hands. And she goes, you want to go to Harvard? And I got, I can't get into Harvard. Well, by the way, that was the stupidest thing, I, one of the stupidest things I ever said. I didn't. Because I said, how, how the hell am I going to get into Harvard? Well, getting into Harvard graduate school is a little different than trying to get one of the slots for undergrad, you know. Right. So basically, I just started doing some research and I was going through the board one day and there was a card up there that says, uh, Fellowships Indiana University Transportation Safety Fellowships, funded by NHTSA. It was a card. I just filled it out and mailed it in and I expected to get back some information about the program, you know. Indiana University, Creighton University, 150 miles from where I lived, transportation, I was working in transportation, why not? Got a call a month later from the head of the department, said, hey, you want to come up here for an interview tomorrow? I go, um, who is this? <laughs> and he explained, sure. So I got my car, drove under. I had an interview with the guy. He says, all right, you're in. Have a nice day. Next thing you know, I'm at Indiana University getting a master's in uh, transportation safety and planning. Talk about just stepping into it. Yeah. And as uh, what Robert Frost said, and that's made all the difference. I mean, it was just, huh, what? Mm -hmm. I mean, certainly I had to go home, so, hey, I think I just got offered to be put in Indiana University. So anyway, that's how I get started. And so went through that, sped up uh, the program. I finished a two-year program in 14 months, graduate, which was a real heavy load, not to mention I had to work while I was doing it and because I had living expenses, and that money's only gonna go so far. Well, what happened during that time? We had the second largest recession in the 19, late 
1980 was a huge recession. Not compared, it was called the Great Recession then because it was the biggest one we had ever seen until this last one in 2008. I come out all brand spanking new with a grant and nobody's hiring. <laughs> there are no jobs. And I'm standing around, now what I'm gonna do? And uh, friends of mine called up and says, hey, uh, there's only four states that are hiring. It was cause it was tied to the oil industry at the time. And said, we're going to Houston, you wanna come? I said, uh, I'll be there in a month. They went ahead, a month later, I loaded up everything I had in my car, drove to Houston and started looking for a job. Because there, in my county alone, there was 13, 13% unemployment. Wow. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was, a, and that's how I wound up down here. Again, serendipity. Right. Uh, currents, the eddies of uh, time and motion just drag you along if you don't, uh, even if you do something, it'll, you'll get drugged. But, that, but if there had not been a recession, I never would have been here. I'd been well employed somewhere in that area, and um, that would have been that. Wow. Yeah. How did you feel moving down here, leaving your family? Uh, very apprehensive. Uh, again, I was, I was following a couple of really good friends of mine. We grew up in high school and college together, and, and they were just like me. We, you know, it's like, hey, we're gonna starve to death. We gotta do something. And so it made the transition was easy because you're basically, you've got your friend support system with you. Nice. Um, and I always thought I'd spend three or four years down here until everything blew over, you know, until the economy came back and this, that, and the other, and we just traipsed on back home. It didn't work out that way. Things developed, I uh, was well-employed, like what I did, you sort of get entrenched, and uh, next thing you know, it's 30 years later. Yeah. What were you into as a kid? Oh, into as a kid, uh, growing up in rural Kentucky, uh, there wasn't much a lot to be into. You know, you had a, uh, there was no video games and things like that, of course. Okay. Hell, I don't think there was even like electronics. Uh, we had transistors. <laughs> so when I was a kid. So uh, growing up on the farm, living in a, a rural area, what did we do as kids? Uh, Plenty of forest, as far as I can see. Did a lot of exploring, you know, um, hunting when I was a little older, uh, fishing when I was a, I was a kid, and of course my siblings. You know, there was a whole bunch of us, so we, you know, you know, uh, interacted, played with each other, that type of thing. After all the work was done, of course, all the chores were done, then you'd go play. Uh, I read a lot. Uh, probably more so than the average person when I was a kid coming up and uh, that made a big difference of course uh, different types of, of you know adventure literature science fiction things along you know, everything that kids read to when they're uh, 9 10 11 years old and then young adolescents a lot of for some odd reason when I was in high school I got into a lot of uh, uh, or situational novels. I don't know why I found that interesting, but but I did. But I read that. Which which of, uh, which of those was your favorite? Well, I don't remember the books per se. I just remember the subject matter. I read a lot of things. Of course, back then uh, the Vietnam War was going on. There was a lot of literature written about that. Uh, my father was in the Korean War. Uh, my uncles were in the World War Two. So a lot reading a lot of World War Two stuff was 
was uh, very interesting. Yeah. I don't recall the, the books or the novels, but uh, yeah, that was the subject matter. Wow. How were you in, uh, in high school? Oh, I was fine. I was, uh, I went to, like I said, a small, uh, liberal, uh, small uh, Catholic high school. I had 23 people in my graduating class. There was 125 in the whole school. I was trained by Ursuline nuns. Uh, I played basketball for a couple of years. I worked at a local grocery store when I was uh, from 15 on. Uh, all my friends were pretty much like me, so uh, where I was from, the most important thing in one's life is turning 16, getting their driver's license, and then scratching up money to get their first car. I mean, because that's all there was. That's all cruising, that's all there was. I mean, the whole town that I was through, our farm was like three miles away from the county seat. The county seat had 1,300 people in it. That was the biggest town in the whole county. Wow. And this county is about the size of Harris. So that ought to tell you something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, said you got into transportation down here. Transportation. Uh... Uh, transportation planning, engineering, yeah. Uh, basically, that was driven by two things. Number one, I had worked. Uh, I got out of college. I went to work for the Green River Development District that we talked about. I was in a transportation department. I was doing transportation studies and basically what everybody else, you know, collecting data, things of that nature, uh, doing analysis, very, very minor analysis. And then I got that uh, fellowship for the uh, safety and the planning degree from Indiana University. So I'm, I'm a fully minute transportation planner. So I run down here and start uh, looking for jobs and I actually wound up working for the uh, Metropolitan and Transfer, uh, the uh, Transit Authority, uh, Metro. Okay. I was 20, I went to work for them. I had just turned 25, 25, 26, 25 I think. Yeah, so yeah. Went in, didn't know squat. Next thing you know, I'm from a Town of thirteen hundred people, and I'm working downtown Houston. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that was cool. How long did you do that? Uh, I worked for them for about six and a half, seven years. Started out as a planner, wound up as a project manager in what's called uh, uh, intelligent transportation systems. Are you familiar with Transtar? Yes. Okay. Well, I helped design those things. I was I started out before those things existed, and I grew up in the industry, and I wound up running the program. Uh, for Metro at 27, I had a $30 million budget, program budget. Wow. Oh, no, it wasn't wild. It was because they couldn't get anybody else to do it. They thought they thought it was so insignificant. We had no so much money back then, we didn't know what to do with ourselves. They thought it was so insignificant and unimportant, someone like me could deal with it. And I said, okay. <laughs> Next thing. Well, that was, uh, that was a real eye-opener. You know, uh, I was in charge of... Uh, planning, design, implementation, and operations of an entire system, which you typically don't get that. You typically you hand it off, hand it off, hand it off. And the reason it was done that way is because nobody else wanted it. <laughs> Everybody wanted to focus on the rail system, which eventually went to hell in the handbasket and I was the only game in town. I and my boss were the two most popular human beings in the authority once <laughs> the railroad were in the field because everybody wanted to work for us because all the rail planners and designers, they were losing their jobs. They were, you know, there was nothing to do. I mean, what's your specialty? I design railroads. 
but we're not doing one. <laughs> Have a nice day. So anyway, yeah. After Metro, what did you end up doing? I went to work for the Texas Transportation Institute, which is a research affiliate of A&M University, and I was a research scientist for them, uh, operating here in the uh, in the Houston area. I worked for them for about three years. Uh, I worked for them about a year and a half, and then I was transferred to Dallas to to manage their. Uh, what was called the North, there was a great big construction project up there called North Central, uh, uh, North Central Freeway Expansion. And TTI, the research institute, had been hired to look at operational issues and come up with, with processes by which you could speed traffic through during construction. Technology was the, back then, you know, how do you take technology, you know, camera systems, monitoring, things like that, and help keep this thing moving while it's all being dug up. Well, I ran that project office for uh, for a year and a half, and at, the, at that time, I had also went back to school. Was getting a uh, another master's in business, so so here I was running this office. We had like four people. I was going to school part time, working full time, and you finally get to the situation is I'm doing this full time job mediocre. I'm doing my graduate work mediocre because there's only so much time in the day right. and uh, if you're mediocre at your job they fire you and if you're mediocre in graduate school they put you out so I had to make a decision so I decided I, I uh, resigned from the Institute and went back to school full-time and, and it was gonna take me two and a half years more as a part-time so I finished it up in, in a year because I was full-time yeah then after, after getting your, your master's in business, what did you end up doing from there? Well, it's interesting. I got recruited right out of, uh, you know, you, you had these great expectations. Now, remember, I'm in my early, mid-30s now. I'm a little different than uh, when you're 24, 25 years old. You know, when I came out with my first master's, I was 24 years old. Well, that's pretty much the standard. What do you know? Oh, nothing. That's what you know. Because <laughs> you have no experience. Well, I had more than most because I had worked a year and a half as in, in, uh, for the uh, uh, the planning organization. So I'm coming out. I got recruited immediately out of the box by a, uh, a brokerage company. And it was pretty interesting, you know. I did that for about a year and realized I was going to start dead. If you're going to do a business, I mean, brokerage is really interesting. Uh, but it's sales is what it is. See, I was doing all the time. It's sales. And I have a, pers a personality that sort of goes that route, you know, anyway. I mean, you just have to be able to talk and present and pay attention, things of that nature, and be a little focused. But uh, the way this was set up, now, if you can last three years, you can make it, you know, you build up your clients and this, that, and the other, and you, because you're doing a lot of commission work, blah, blah, blah. And... Um, but you're going to starve for three years. And I was undercapitalized, and I got to the point where I got tired of being, because I had I was used to having money. Yeah. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I'm literally, I'm going to starve. I mean, hey, man, I mean, I, mean, I got to eat, that type of thing. And I had I had a whole lot more options because of my background, people I knew. And I said, look, I, I can't do this anymore. And next thing you know, I'm, I'm hired back into the transportation industry. You just, bang, let's go. Yeah, I'm glad you're back. Glad to see you. Now, is, is this still all down here in Houston? Uh, I did my master's program at uh, in Dallas okay. at the uh, University of Texas in Arlington. 
And then I moved back to uh, live there for three years, ran the office, went to school, lived there for three years, uh, and then in the Dallas Fort Worth area, then I moved back to Houston, yes. Because I had a lot of friends here. I had a lot of friends up there, but a lot of friends. Yeah, I had I had history down here, and uh, you know, right. I wasn't beholding to anybody, so it didn't make any difference. So I just, yeah, well, let's go back to Houston. That makes sense. What did you think about life then, or how did you think about life? In what regard? You know, just in general. What did What did you want to get out of life? <sighs> you know, basically. Um, um, I have an entirely different view of it now than I did then because I was only 30 years old. I had no experience. Of course, life was all wrapped up in just some real minor things. Number one, um, having a good career because you could have accumulate wealth and having a good cadre of, uh, of friends that you could social, you know, your social life, you know, dinner parties, uh, museums, plays, you know, that type of thing. And that was pretty much the focus of it, you know, accumulating wealth, being social. Do you think that having a career now is a is a good way to accumulate wealth, or do you think there's different ways? Well, you know that's interesting. Um, I look at it entirely differently now, and that is accumulating wealth beyond a certain point, that which I need to to live well, uh, is of no interest to me. Because it used to be, uh, whenever I make my first million, by the way, which I still haven't, but uh, God knows I've spent more. <laughs> I've spent two or three million, but that's another issue. <laughs> uh, that does not appeal to me anymore. I mean, it's not in my my focus. Yes, uh, having a, a good way of making income in order to, to provide enough wealth in order to uh, sustain me and my family and achieve certain things that I want to do, you know, like security, that type of stuff, some personal things. That, that's the focus. You know, it's not accumulating wealth. No, I don't want to be Steve Jobs anymore. thought it did, like everybody did back then. That's why everybody got the NBA. We're all going to be Steve Jobs. Right. Yeah, yeah. And uh, then I die early of cancer. So, but that's another issue. Right. Go ahead. I got a job as the program manager for long-range planning for the Houston Galveston Area Council. So I went right back into transportation. I was running the program. Our job was to put together the 30-year long-range plan and all the components of that for the entire metropolitan region. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Uh, first plan I put out, it was a total of $9 billion. This is all the things. In order to get from point A to point B, which has been defined by all the people in the transportation, you know, you're, you're holding public meetings, is that, where, where do you want to go? You know, the economic development, uh, cultural, all that. You have to have a plan. And one of the key components of any society being successful and, and growing, and if you're not growing, you actually are, you are actually dying, is uh, one of the basic tenets is you have to have a transportation system that supports that. And that's a big deal. I mean, transportation is 20, 25% of the entire economy because you can't get anything done if you can't get from point A to point B, if you can't move stuff. Right. Um, so my job was to bring all the agencies together, the transits, the highway department, the cities, the counties, the federal uh, highway guys, and say, okay, with their guidance and game, I mean, I didn't think this up on my own, there's guidelines, I just, I just took somebody else's job. 
this is what you have to do to get from point A to point B. You bring it all together and say, okay, how much transportation do we need to achieve this type of uh, economic development and this, and this degree of a livable society or city, however you want to describe it, over the next three years? And then you build a plan. And this is what you do in the first three years, this is what you do in the first five, first 10, first 20. And then you have to total it off. What's this going to cost? It's going to cost a minimum $9 billion, which, by the way, turned out to be wrong. It was a whole lot bigger. But, but that was 30 years ago. I mean, you don't know what you're looking at. Right. Uh, if you assume a growth rate of 25 3%, which is a pretty standard growth rate, and this is what you are now, then you, know, you can do a fairly decent projection. And remember, it's only a plan. It's not a... It's not an engineering drawing. This is, and this thing changes. That's why you review it every two, three years to see what's changed. Uh, what economically has changed, what's changed in your population, what's changed politically, uh, what has changed in the individuals who live in your metropolitan area, what they want, what educationally has changed. And you work it all together and says, okay, all those elements have an effect on the transportation system you need to provide. And then you adjust it accordingly. Yeah, so that, that was pretty interesting. How long did it take you to propose that plan or bring that plan together? It took us a year and a half to put that plan together. Now, remember, there had been, a, five years earlier, had been one. You basically work off of that with new uh, with new parameters and stuff like that. But it took a staff of, myself, I think, six or eight guys. It took us at least a year and a half to put it together okay. and go through all the reviews and submit it. And, and then by the time we got finished with that, two or two years, and then, then we got three years to get ready for the next one. So you just, you just like five years you have to update it. So it's, it's a huge effort. And I was also responsible for the, the uh, integrating air quality into that plan. So, you know, we had a group that did nothing but air quality analysis. Well, my transportation plan had to take into account all that and how am I going to design this plan this in order to meet the air quality requirements the federal government had set. By the way, you guys, this city could pr produce X amount of ozone, X amount of bad gases. All right, that needs to be reduced. Show me how this plan is going to reduce this. And you have these huge models that you, I'm doing this, we pump it into the model, it shows you whether it increases or decreases. And oh, by the way, if you do not have a plan that is compliant, in other words, I've set this standard for you. If this plan does not get that pollution level down to X, guess what? You know all that federal transportation funds that we give you in the billions of dollars? You don't get it anymore. Like, holy moly. <laughs> I mean, that'll, that'll make your eyes open up. It's like, huh? Uh, yeah, yeah, you, we're gonna cut you off. And most states thought that that was just the federal government being, you know, you need to do something. I mean, look, look how things were back. I mean, you, you've never experienced it. Uh, I mean, small, I mean, just ridiculous. Who was it? Oh, it was Atlanta. It was Atlanta. I remember that. They uh, basically, I was like, well, the feds will never do that. Feds will never do that. They'll talk, they're talking a mean game, but they're there. And Atlanta called them out and they said, watch this. Boy, they cut their friends off, did stood around, look around, says, now the rest of you guys, mm -hmm. we just mashed Atlanta. Think we're kidding now? <laughs> no, sir.
<laughs> and and you basically you can get it done if you have the will. Yeah, that's all. And they gave us the will by saying we're cutting your money off. By the way, we're going to cut off Atlanta for at least two years and watch those guys flop around like fish. And uh, that got everybody's attention nationwide. And um, we all got in gear and did our jobs. Wow. Yeah. How, yeah. how old were you when this was, was going on? Running that program, I think I took over when I was 35. 35. No, no, I took over when I was 35. Or 30. No, I took over when I was 37. And ran it up till I was 40. And then I went to work for an engineer for shortly after that. I went to the to the private side of the industry as opposed to the public government side of the industry. Or what we used to affectionately refer to as uh, the dark side. When, uh, when, uh, but let me make a point about a couple of things. There, I, I know I don't know how it is in the world that you work in, but where I work in, you know, so there's the public and the private. Let's face a few facts. If you if you design roads and you build roads and you build transportation systems, where do you get your money? I don't care if you are a private firm. Who's what contract? Where do you get your contracts from? You get them from governmental entities. That's all you get them from because that's what you do. You supply infrastructure. Well, who buys infrastructure? Society buys infrastructure. So, okay, great. And it used to be the sole argument, yeah, we'll privatize everything and make it more efficient, you know, da da da, profit motive. Yeah, that is important. But I will tell you this I never worked as hard working for a private company, which I'm 20, 20 some years now, than I worked for that 15 years that I worked for the governmental organizations. You got run from because you know you had X and you had to get it done, right. and uh, so there was no. I, mean, I was as motivated uh, on the public side as I ever was on the private side. I mean, and motivation is what? What is it? Uh, you want to get it done. You want to do your job. You want to be successful. You want to have uh, a sense of satisfaction. This that and the other. It doesn't make any difference whether you work public or private. I used to argue with my friends about that all the time that never worked on the public side. And they would make references to, to uh, well, what's it like to have a real job now? <laughs> <sighs> Let's see. Oh, yeah. I'll never give you a contract. That's what it's like. How's that? <laughs> at what point in your career were you at your peak? So, meaning, what was your uh, your big break? Never had a break. Never had a break. You know, when you... When you, when you um, Gave me a little idea about some of the questions. I got thinking about that. And that's a real important question. Uh, I never had, quote, a big break. And most people never do. But what I had was a series of opportunities to go to college. When I came out of college, I was pursuing, I, I, they happened to have one slide open for this type of work, and I happened to get it. Uh, what else? Uh, Send in a postcard. I wind up in graduate school at Indiana University. Stuff like that. Um, on and on and on. It's just a series of opportunities that showed up. And the thing that you learn, the thing that you want to learn, is that when you see an opportunity, have the ability to evaluate it and decide whether you're going to take it or not. But as far as having, for myself personally, I... I've had no, quote, big breaks, you know, I mean, there's, but I've had a whole series 
of small or, or meaningful opportunities. And you can call those breaks. You know, I've, I've had things like, for example, hey, I know a guy that needs this type of service. Call him up and says, hey, you're just the guy we're looking for. If you think about that, that's a break. Right. That's a break. Yeah. Yeah. You know, do you believe that life, you know, you go with life and uh, it's kind of, you know, the cliche saying of, uh, you know, it happens for a reason. Do you, do you believe that aspect of life or do you believe in building your own life? Oh, um, yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Uh, things happen for two reasons or, or, or two conditions. One is you create the opportunity. For example, if you want to um, build things, in other words, construction or design or whatever, you need to have engineering knowledge. Well, you create that knowledge by going to school. You know, that's you. You had a desire and you looked at this, I have a desire to do this. What do I have to do now in order to achieve this desire or promote this desire? Well, I got to do this, this, and this. Well, that's you creating your own, uh, creating your own circumstance, what it is. You're, you're preparing yourself. That's what it is. That's what Abraham Lincoln used to talk about all the time when he was uh, a young man uh, educating himself to this, that I will continue to prepare, my, to prepare myself personally until I have an opportunity to use it. Okay, that's it. The, se the second thing that you, there is such a thing, and it's like we talked about earlier, eddies and currents. Um, Aristotle referred to it as the blessings of good fortune. If you, this thing about being in the right place at the right time, yeah, that's good fortune, things that serendipity, that's things, it doesn't mean if you're not too, if you're not prepared educationally, professionally, uh, personally to take advantage of something that comes up, uh, surreptitiously, not surreptitiously, excuse me, in a in a un uh, unstructured opportunity, just shows up at your door, and well, yeah, I can do that. Yeah, I'd like to do that because you have all these skills. But the blessings of good fortunes, I think, is something that's terribly underrated. Because let's let's take an example. I think you and I talked about this before. I don't care what genius you are. You can have a high IQ of 186, which would put you right way in the top of that range. And you're born in the backwaters of. Uh, let's pick a nice place there. With the, I'm not trying to disparage the country or anything, an undeveloped country or community, let's say in the Himalaya mountains, your opportunities are limited. I don't care how brilliant you are because your misfortune, if you want to look at it that way, is that you were born in the Himalayas <laughs> or you were born somewhere in, uh, in Bangladesh 40 years ago. That is a misfortune as far as achieving these, you know, personal development. So the, you're prepared, and then when the opportunities or situations arise, you have the intelligence to evaluate, then you move on. Now, fate, there is no, there is no such thing as fate. You make your own, you make your own. Or you just, or you just continue to live as things come to you. But, you, but you're not fated. Or what's the old, oh yeah, it is written. No, no, there's nothing about a human's life that is written. Hmm, interesting. So um, you said you you 
moved down here because you had you were kind of following your friends. Yeah, uh, they were unemployed too. They were well educated, unemployed, and they were like us. They were able to, we were going to stand there together in this small community, and never have it. You know, wait two years for something to crack, and they just packed up food. And I said, I'll be down there, and I just followed them. You still, uh, still have a close relationship with them today? Uh, one is deceased, and the other one lives uh, four blocks from my house. <laughs> wow. I mean, these are these are guys I grew up with when I was in high school. I mean, these are and went to college with. I mean, we're in the. I know, I know all their their parents. Their parents know me. I mean, you grew up in a rural community, and everybody knows everybody. Right. You know them all. You know all the brothers and sisters. You know all their warts. Uh, you know they're they're just like they're just a big part of an extended family. Is what they are. Moving down here, did you ever get, you know, quote unquote, backstabbed by anybody? Oh, I mean, everybody's going to have that. Sure, I, you're going to have that. But those are very few and far between, uh, unless you're just hanging out with the wrong group of human beings. But um, yeah, and that's basically, uh, and that's primarily in the business environment. Yeah, and but but again, that's few and far between because once that's done. You remove yourself from that situation, or you remove them, whichever you know, whichever you have the power to do, and then you just go on. Yeah, yeah everybody's going to experience that. It's just how you how you uh, respond and adjust to it that will make the difference. You're going to get old and bitter about it, like I am. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, uh, yeah. You just you just take it for what it is, learn what you can, and uh, you know, depending on your personality you're either going to uh, you know revenge is your cup of tea I guess you'll engage in a little of that and if uh, dismissing it for the worthlessness that it is that's what you'll do I personally had a combination of the two but mm -hmm. that's how my personality is what criteria or what um, you know what what specifications would you would you need to call someone a friend like a real friend well you know that's really interesting you real friends they're uh, how many quote real friends? I have a lot of acquaintances, right? And I have a lot of good acquaintances. Friends, uh, there's five or six of those. And friends, that's that's a really interesting question. I wish I thought about it a little more, but um, I think the definition for me is that um, you know friendships are considered one of the uh, uh, Western philosophical thought. Friendship is considered a uh, necessary good. You need to have friendships. It's in our nature to have friendships because we're social animals. Right. Um, but friendships are different than families. You know, I, my, I, well, I'm very close to all my family members. I was born with them. I mean, what they say, you have to, you know, you're born in your family, you get to pick your friends. <laughs> Right, right. Uh, so you have different criteria. You have s similar interests, similar values. Uh, they may change over the years. Some have, uh, but these are individuals that you that are that that you know that you can always go to and say, okay, here's the deal. You help them. You you are concerned. You're general, legitimately concerned about their welfare, and you'll go more than out of your way to. Yes, I, I understand. I'll help you. This is what we'll do. Sure. I'll, yeah. Uh, and that's, uh, and there's, I got about uh, probably 
four, maybe five that hit that criteria. And besides that, if it's more than that, you're, you're, they're, they're good acquaintances, they're good whatever. But if you're talking about true, genuine friendships, uh, you get past the five mark, you, you better consider yourself extremely fortunate. And if you're, if you're not deluding yourself, I, know, I have guys that call everybody their friends. Right. Uh, no, they're acquaintances that, uh, that you happen at this moment get along with, and they're perfectly social human beings. And I call them friends too, but they're, they're social friends. They're, they're, um, they're good acquaintances, good acquaintances. Do you think you can make do you think the term friends applies to business, or do you think it's strictly... Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, business, uh, is what I have learned, is that you don't divorce yourself from the two. I mean, you have business relationships. I think where we're getting confused with that uh, is, you know, I have good... I have, well, I have some really good acquaintances slash friends in business that I would do, I would help out uh, in the business any way I could and, and do and vice versa um, but that's a separate category than friends that are your extensions of who you are right. uh, yeah you need to develop those we refer to them in business as relationships or good relationships yeah you need those uh, now where the dividing line is or this that and the other I'll give you an example. I have a guy that I consider a uh, very good acquaintance and, and a friend and not this, but a, a friend. And we do a lot of business together. There are rules here. <laughs> and we're supportive of each other. We can help this right up to the point where that rule is going to be, you know, I'll put to you this way. I don't care how good of a business partner you've been. You steal from me. It's a, you know, you can't do that. Right. I mean, you can have, and I actually have had business partners that have done that. And in a moment of weakness and desperation on their own part, well, okay, but unlike my family, if, which they never would, maybe the other way around, <laughs> they're all more successful than I am if you use the monetary measurement. Uh, if one of my family members were to steal from me, um, they're still my family, but, and I still love them. I just have to, I would be more cautious. But if you're my business partner, i.e. my business friend, you steal from me, um, that's terminated because you cannot function that way. That's all. And you just can't function that way. What was your biggest failure in life or your best failure? Well, I, I, when I saw that question, I want you to explain to me what you mean by best failure. By best failure, I mean the failure that really, you know, you ended up being so embarrassed, so, so um, you know, so at the bottom that it ended up changing a life for the better? I've never had one of those. No, I've had numerous uh, setbacks, failures, or whatever, uh, monetarily, personally, things of that nature. We all do. Right. Uh, but I've never had one where there was some type of crystallization or defining epiphany on something. Uh, monetarily, I suppose. Uh, but see, I, I was laboring with that question, and that's a really good thing. And then I got thinking about it. You know, I'm 60, I'll be 64 this month. So my thinking of how things are is much different than when I was your age or in my early 30s or early 40s. Um, 
I don't have failures. I have setbacks. And see, if you define a failure as something that, like you said, which was a good, that you're so embarrassed and this, that, and the other, you just, you know, you know, I've had acquaintances, and actually I had one good friend who, who had such a tremendous failure in his mind that he disappeared. And for 25 years, I cannot find him. Wow. I just can't find him. And I'm fairly certain he's dead. But, but he just, he had a series of personal setbacks and this, that, and the other, and so on and so forth that at the time were tremendous for him, and they were tremendous. That he was so that he just stopped socializing with all his because he was too embarrassed. I'm sure that's what the case was. And the last time I saw him was uh, 23 years ago. He was at my wedding, and uh, never spoke to him since. He flew in, and I hadn't seen him. You know, I mean, I'd spoken and this, that, and the other, but I knew that something was terribly wrong with him. Then after I got married, got things too settled, I I reached out to John and I couldn't find him. He disappeared. And to this day, we can't find him. And uh, one of these days, there's two or three of us that, that are good friends, that he was in that, in that group, was college. And we've talked about, well, let's go find him. Let's, well, I mean, that's not that hard. You can hire a couple of guys, and let's go find him. And find out whether he's alive or dead or, or what. And, um, and see, I don't know. He just disappeared off the face of the earth. Did he did he end up moving moving down here with you guys? Or did he stay no, there? no, he uh, he was from uh, uh, Memphis. He lived in Memphis. His whole family was there, and, and he had a big family, and he had a real interesting and partially tragic life, uh, which he I thought he dealt with spectacularly. I don't think I would have done as well as he did, but something caught up with him. Something later on down in his uh, early mid thirties, something something happened, and I don't know what that was. Uh, that that made his life, he changed, and he became more recluse, more distant, that type of thing, until finally he just ceased to exist. But uh, I, I've never had anything like that. Never had anything. You know, that's what I call real personal failure. I've had a lot of setbacks, and in my and and in my early age, or my, when I was younger, I would I would call them failures. But now looking back on it, now it could be one or two things. Uh, I like to repackage, you know, you, maybe I'm just repackaging something so I can think about it more pleasantly, you know, redefine reality. That could be part of it. Or I could actually have come to some uh, real knowledge in, in saying, okay, let me tell you, let's, let's define what a failure is. And I don't look at things as failure. Well, you remember that... Uh, uh, that hardware little thing I started where we met. Right. As far as financially and, and business-wise, that's been the biggest stinking failure of my entire, and you talk about a mess. I'm still trying to climb out from under that. But I refuse to, you know, you know what, what have I done? Well, uh, I'm, I won't be doing it this way anymore, and I'm doing this. I met you. This, is, this was a good thing that came out of it. One of the most positive things, I met a couple of guys, uh, one guy in particular has been helping me out a lot. He's great. He's now. You need to interview him. He's got a real interesting life <laughs> compared to me. It's like, oh wow, man. Uh, 
So, uh, but we become uh, good acquaintances, and I would call him a, uh, a, a friend, you know, bordering on it, but, but uh, I get real, that, that, uh, there's a deep market. But he's a great guy, and I never would have bumped into him hadn't been for this, and, and, I'm, and I got to, I've got to watch him for two years struggle unbelievably un in his own business and work and this and that, and I'm sitting there going, man, I think I would have shot myself yeah, which is not true, but but just his perseverance to keep up with 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 what he what his life took that turn in. I mean, he's been handed a whole lot of of uh, um, what is it? Uh, I'll put it to you this way: the blessings of good fortune. He hasn't been blessed with much of it lately. <laughs> so, but his 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 ability to adapt, adjust, and not give up, and this that and the other is a real inspiration. And it has been to me. Well, I got that out of it. Now I just have to figure out how to dump that $600,000 worth of nuts and bolts and get my money back. I'm still working on that part. And you're going to help me do that, or I'm going to make you pick up the tab. <laughs> so uh, that would be, I would consider that my biggest financial screw up, for lack of a better term, because that's tens of thousands of dollars that I'm still, you know, having to figure out how to get out the money. But man, what a set of problems. And now I've had all this, and I go, well, I can do this, I can do that. I met these people, blah, blah, blah. And if you look at it from that standpoint, they're setbacks. They're not failures when you when it just finally you just quit and say, I don't mean quit because cutting, now, cutting your losses and go, look, this is not going to work. I don't care how hard I work. That is not quitting. That is called cutting your losses. That's called an intelligent decision. Sometimes you just have to do that. A failure is something that just really goes to hell in a handbasket and takes you with it, takes you personally with it. It changes the way you think, the way you act, uh, the way you interact with other individuals. It, it, it diminishes you. It uh, makes you angry. It, 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 uh, uh, it, it gnaws at what you are and, and reshapes what you are. For the for the uh, worse, now that's a failure. I don't have those. I've never I've had failures, quote unquote. But I used to think that way, but now that I'm looking back around, oh, that's a failure. Whoopee! I wish I had two or three more of those. That was nothing. I was just a young kid thought that my world was coming to an end because I didn't know any better. That's all. That's all. There is one big advantage about getting to know. You and I talked about that. I, unlike you, actually do know what I'm doing. <laughs> and, and and as I tell my sons, my seventeen year old son, you will learn more. And I don't even use, I will I refuse to use I won't even use the word failure because it, it it has such a connotation in English language. You you start structuring you know how you interpret things will will affect how you act or respond to them. I never use the word failure. My two sons have had a series of setbacks in their high school career. Like, I want you to explain to me this grade. <laughs> it says F. Yes, I know what F stands for. This is a setback because you're not getting out of this. You're going to figure out a way. But that's a setback. You know, high school, I don't care what happens to you in high school. That's a setback. It is not a failure. Good God. Uh, but boy, I was the most important thing in the world of me when I was in high school. College the same way. But it's like I tell my son, I said, you will learn more from your setbacks than you ever will learn 
from your successes for this particular reason. Particularly, you have you do something initially and then you're successful at it. You got lucky. I got news for you. You just got lucky. You just don't know it. Um, so, uh, but when you have a setback, okay, what got me here? What do I do? This and you take that and you incorporate it in, into your next activity, and then that little those errors that you made that brought that setback to you are eliminated because you know you know what to do now. That's how you look at setbacks. First thing you do, you quit calling them failures. They're setbacks. You've just misinterpreted the world. That's how you did. That's how you did. You just didn't have enough data and you didn't process the data properly. But by the way, you got plenty of data. You just don't process it right. And because you, that's a training, that is a training exercise. And that's what old age gives you. You have all these experience. Oh, I'm not doing that again. Well, I did that once. Woo. No, 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 no. Let me show you what's going to happen to you when you go down that road. This is where you're going to get the bullet in your head. Okay? And we go, go ahead. But I told you. <laughs> and don't come back to this house going, well, Dad, nope, we had that chat. You wanted to do it anyway. So, anyway, yeah. Do you have a, a special ritual, prayer, affirmation you do every day? No, no, I, they, no, I don't do that. And uh, um, other than... Oh yeah, I do have one ritual. I will have a cup of coffee. Don't talk to me, don't look at me, and don't ask me a question. That's why I get up so early. I have all this coffee in me by five o'clock and everybody else is gonna be a victim of me. <laughs> I need an answer. Uh, no, no, no doubt, no doubt. I just, like I said, I get a cup of coffee and I sit down and think about, okay, what am I gonna do today? What do I need, well, what about, what do, what do I need to do today? Or, or you know, try to plan out the day, this, that, and the other. So, but I don't have a, you know, I don't, you know, walk around the block three times. But I tell you what, one good ritual I need to get back into is, is exercising. I can get up, get my four miles in, and then get out to work. Now that would be a good ritual. I used to do that and get back to that. Okay. Measure your success according to your own measure. Right. Do you think that you're you're where you are today, or you you've accomplished what you've accomplished today, because of um, you know a higher meaning, or strictly because of the, all the hard work you put in throughout, um, throughout your life. Yeah, when I mean, you say higher meaning, are you t talking about some uh, uh, you know higher power influence or something like that, or religious or whatever? Right. Uh, no, no, and I'll, I'll tell you what, uh, and I don't mean that in a which has no reflection on 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 my. Uh, My, my spiritual life or whatever it is. My father used to say, he says, uh, religion's a great thing. My father was a very, very good man, very devout in his religion. Uh, raised Roman Catholic, this, that, and the other. But my father had one, one quality in that regard, and that was, this is something that you keep to yourself, and you just do it. You know, you know, declaring that you've been saved, you know, uh, just get out of here, guys. You know, either walk the walk and be quiet, you know, you walk the walk, you don't even talk about it. You're, you're a living example. That's what you are. And you just go on. So, um, no, in, in my case, it's not a, 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 you know, any type of spiritual application. That is an entire separate thing over, over, over here. I mean, it's, but uh, 
you know, first of all, re, redefining what success means. That was probably, no, that's not probably to it. That has resulted in what I am, who I am, that type of thing, or how I feel about myself or whatever, more so than anything else. Because um, you had a question we talked about as the definition of happiness. There's two types of happiness. There's two, there's two definitions of it. One of it, which we typically use, which is called, are you happy? That, that is a, the question is, at the moment, uh, are you content? That's a, that's a psychological happiness. But in Western philosophical thought, um, developed by the Greeks, happiness means this. Happiness is a life well lived. It is a whole life that uh, is made moral, not religious moral, but behavior moral, uh, is made moral by virtue. And virtue is the habit of right choices. That's all virtue means which is, and there's four virtue, cardinal virtues, and it, they're habits on how you choose to try to, to achieve a good life. Uh, and then the last phrase of that happiness is uh, blessed with uh, uh, good fortune. Again, if you're born in the backwaters of Bangladesh and you know, your, your chance of being, of, of fulfilling all the potential that you have as a human being is horribly diminished you don't have the resources to do it. You don't have the resources to do it. Now, when you take a look at what that means and, and apply it that way, then yeah, yeah, there's then that that change or that revelation or whatever. It's it's man's end. It's a meaning of what life is, what a good life is, or what your moral obligation is. Again, moral in the sense of human behavior. It's got nothing to do with religion. Uh, do you know what morality means? Look it up in dictionary what morality means. That which pertains to right and wrong as it relates to human behavior. Right. Now, we have two types of morals. Right. We have, and we, we, we get confused. And that's one set, which has got everything to do with what a human being is and our nature as a human being. This is how a human being acts by nature of its DNA, by nature of its, you know, uh, I'll give you an example of any animal uh, acts in a certain way because of instinct or whatever, because it's in its nature. We do too, but we have the ability to modify because we have intellect. Okay, and then you have the the what we refer to as uh, religious morals, or you know, and doesn't mean that they don't sometimes they 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 don't have some relationship, but that's different. That's just simply different. So when I talk about moral, I talk about this moral because this is over in the realm of of, uh, of religiosity, which is not anything I have absolutely any interest in, in exploring or discussing because you can never come to a reasonable end by it because it's it's a belief as opposed to this is a uh, uh, these are matters of of truth and and actuality and facts. And if you can deal with that, so you can get something done. Over here, it's like a matter of taste, you know. You love green, I love blue. That's fine. Why are we going to argue about which is a better color? That's silly. <laughs> or not. But anyway, make a long story short. Um, the answer is no, but um, 
know, that's the definition of happiness. And the great thing about that, that, uh, that uh, definition, which, by the way, is the, the absolute kernel of all Western philosophical thought. I mean, you're going back to the origin. There's four words that are the origin of Western philosophical thought. The good is desirable. That is the origin of Western, that is the kernel, that is the, for lack of a better term, that is the moment of the Big Bang, you know, in Western philosophical thought. And everything traces right back to that. But, uh, and, and, you know, but the great thing about the pursuit of happiness is, is there's no terminal point. You cannot be described. You're always doing that. You're always becoming that. And you can't even sit and say, did he live a good life until you don't exist anymore? It's up to somebody because once you don't exist anymore, then you can say, well, did he lead a good life? Did he have a good life? Because I'm still having my life. You know, I'm still having my life. And that's the great, that's the great part about it is, is that once you come to grips with that, there, there is no end. There's no, there's all these things that, that you, you, you as a human being, in other words, the pursuit of happiness, and those degrees and what those things are, those there are certain components of it, and this is not going to turn into a big philosophical discussion. But it took me ten years to decipher that. Ten years of reading, study, this, that, and the other, and testing, and and uh, I haven't achieved it, and it, which is nothing more than what Aristotle did on a on a on a breezy day in Greece. You know, well, let me explain to you how this works. What is the what is man's end? Man's end is the pursuit of happiness, which has no terminal end until they cease to exist. My father once said something to me that, uh, my father was revered in the community we came from. Not because of his wealth and this, that, and that, but because of, of what a good human being he was. And uh, he, was, he was excellent in that regard. And my father once told me, he says, you know, at the end of the day, which was his definition, when somebody kills you, Steve. No, at the end of the day, <laughs> you don't exist anymore. Uh, is all you take with you is your good name. So that's it. Once you betray your good name, in other words, once you give that up, and all those things that we know that, that you, you should not engage in, that, that harms other people. Yeah. And, and, and doesn't, and, uh, doesn't, achieve art and you don't focus on trying to achieve your your potentiality and so on and so forth um, that is all part of your in other words your character and your character defined in the end is is your good name and so that's all you take with you so you better get this straight you better get this straight so his entire life was focused on, and of course he didn't come to his revelation until he was in his 50s and 60s. You know, he had a good start in this, that, and the other. But but at the end of the day, he realized that that's what, and what he tried to do, as I try to do with my sons, is that if you understand that, because we know that physiology, we know that the human brain is still developing when you're in your early 20s or as I refer to my eldest son, you know, your brain is as smooth as a cue ball right now. You need to get some ridges in it, you know? <laughs> and he goes, what? And I said, exactly, exactly. So, 
now you have a, now your brain's developed. You've had a modicum of personal experiences that the other, and now you direct yourself to 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 understanding and incorporating the universal truths uh, that Western philosophy can bring to you in order to to achieve as much of your human potential as possible. In other words, to pursue happiness and to live a good whole life that we will all evaluate after your dad. But you just keep moving. That's all. What is the biggest lesson life has taught you? Well, I've been taught a whole lot of lessons by some big guys right outside the bar. That was a big one. <laughs> My father would say, don't screw with people you don't know because you don't know what they're capable of doing. <laughs> That's a big lesson. You need to learn that before you're out in the parking lot discussing it. You know, that just doesn't work. Uh, big lesson. You know, life is such a series of lessons. Uh, but if I have to wrap it up in a nutshell, and that's what you're asking, rightfully so, is I think one of the most significant ones is when I realized that what I do to earn my daily bread doesn't define who and what I am as a human being. I don't care what an individual does to earn their daily bread, as long as it's honorable work, obviously. If you're a dope dealer, I'm gonna have a chat with you about it. Uh, but that's not who you are as a human being. That's not what you are. I mean, and most of us do that. We get into that trap. I mean, somebody says, yeah, go to a party. You go love this, particularly when you go. Go to a party, and the question is, uh, it's always, well, what do you do for a living? In other words, I try very hard never to ask that question anymore. I, either I know what they do for a living, we just talk about something else, or if there's somebody just totally blank, my question is uh, something along the lines, uh, and uh, what do you uh, dedicate most of your time to? What, what, is, what is it that you're into? Something that's not, because, and particularly in the engineering world, what I grew up in, or, or worked in, is that the other that what they would say is, I'm an engineer. Okay, that's who they were as a human being. You know, you're not. You're not. You, that's what you do as a, to earn your daily bread, as to, in other words, to, to make a living. You're not an engineer. That is, that is, a, that is a talent or something that you do in order to, what you are as a human being is what you're trying to, is, and work doesn't define you as a human being. Should. And when I finally come to grips with that, um, that was really liberating. Because I can always earn money. Right. You, know? you know, you and I have talked about that many times. You know, how much money? A thousand bucks? Okay, I think I can get that by the end of the week. I mean, there's always, but that doesn't define who I am and what I am as a human being. And once you give that up, then then your focus changes tremendously. Hmm. Professions are really bad about that. I'm a doctor, I'm an engineer, I'm a lawyer, I'm a college professor. So that's how you earn your money. What are you? Who are you? Now that's different. I didn't ask how you earn your daily bread. I asked what you are as a human, you know, how you define yourself as a human being. That's different. Hmm. It's different. Where do you go from here? 
Uh, actually, here I go back. No, uh, that, and that's another thing. It's interesting. You know, I went off on this tangent. I have my own firms down, which, by the way, you know, like you and I talked about, three hundred bucks and a good attorney. You have all the companies you want. Um, you know, I got to get my kids through college, which probably be done with a boot more than money. Um, I'm working on two or three, I got two or three companies that are going, trying, you know, some generating money, some are just sitting there. Um, I'm working on, you know, what do I want to do? I'm going back, I want to go back to school and uh, get another master's in applied economics. I'm working on that. As a matter of fact, I'm going to Lone Star doing the math to get my math skills back up because I haven't used it in a long time, then I'll go to that program. Uh, that's a two-year program. Yeah, that'll be easy. Uh, I'm easy, but that's probably about, I'll probably start that about a year and a half, two years. I want to do that um, for my own personal whatever. Uh, there's a whole lot of uh, 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 subject matter reading that uh, I'm pursuing that I want to do. That's you know that's leisure work. That's self. Uh, that's not self development. That's a terrible word. It sounds like I'm building something. Um, I don't know, like self-development. It's uh, uh, achieving my potential. You know, one of the things I want to do, and it's going to take twenty years, is that I want to be able to understand the basic math formula, so that when somebody puts up the equation, which they're, they should have finalized next five years, physics says, okay, this is the equation that explains that combines all the forces of the universe. Now the math in that is astronomical, way beyond my skill level. I want over the next 20 years to have enough math, knowledge, training, whatever, so when I see that formula, which only has about six, eight symbols in it, that I will go, yes, I know what that means mathematically. I know what it means conceptually. I mean, I understand that now, electromagnetism, all that stuff, but I can't do the math. I can't appreciate the math. That's an entirely different language. It'll take about 20 years. If I really stay on it, I think I can do it in 20 years. And uh, that's pretty cool. That's that's a good goal. I got nothing better to do. Um, one of the things that I want to do is um, uh, talk to some friends about it. We're organizing right now. I want to go back to the county that I grew up in and uh, start a uh, university. That'll take about 20 years. I'll get it all said and done. I mean, I've been working on the last two years you know, conceptually, putting together how we do this, how we do that, who you get involved, you know, basically building the structure. That's one of the reasons why I want to go back and get my master's in applied economics. Not that I cannot do the economic analysis, because I do a lot of that. But tell you, you know, but if I show up there and you got to convince people, first thing you got to do when you make a presentation, you have to, there's, you have to demonstrate uh, you have to demonstrate competency. Well, what's the easiest way to demonstrate that automatically people take that you're competent? Well, tell me, it's your degree. You may not know squat, but they're going to give you credit for it. And you do know something, but they're going to give well, sure, yeah. Well, well, I have, a, I have an MBA in finance. I think I can figure out the numbers here. Yeah, I have a master's in applied economics. Let me show you how it, how it affects the county and how it will, you know, blah, blah, blah. Uh, hey man, if I can put together a 30-year, $9 billion transportation program, 
working this thing out for the next 30 years is, is you know, nothing per it's, it's simplistic compared to what that was. But the point is, I'd like to do that. And there are several reasons why I want to do that because, number one, I'm a product of that county and it was a good place to grow up. I just didn't realize how good it was when it's happening to you. You know, does the fish really know it's in water? No, not till you take it out. And then it goes, hey, wait a minute, something right, right here. Right. You know, it was always that way. Well, aren't, isn't everything this way? Hell, my family looks like the Waltons. I don't know if you're familiar with that TV show, The Waltons. No. Oh, God, you are. You know. <laughs> uh, anybody that's 40 years old or sees it, they'll know what it is. You know, you know, rural family, everybody gets along. Eh, we weren't quite that. But, you know, and you work hard, and everybody, you know, da, 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 the Walton family, everybody's wholesome and all that. My family was like the Waltons. Well, I just thought every family was like the Waltons. And then you go, and you're like, my God, that's dysfunctional. You what? You know, it's just weird. Right. Because I got out of the water. And go, man, I went back in this pool. I can't be back in there. But I uh, wanted to do college, and it, and it may not work. And I, in my, my lifetime, my life expectancy is about 94. The question is, can I stay mentally capable and, and whatever and driven till I'm 85? And I think I can. And if not, I want to leave it set up so somebody can finish. Right. Somebody can finish. And then they'll put a big bronze statue and all that good stuff. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I want to start an infrastructure bank if you're back in that community because if you're going to do all this economic development type stuff, then you, I, I know all the components that have to exist. You got to have investment capital. You got to have an educated workforce. Yeah, you got to have those two things. If you're going to bring meaningful economic development to to a area, infrastructure, economics, transportation, which I also include now, uh, communications. I mean, fiber optics, communication. It's just it's transportation. Transparent ideas, that's all it is to it. And, um, you know, and the good governance, the, the, the social organization, the society slash, which is represented by its government, that is in, that is in place to see to it that these things are executed. They give form to it. You know, that's what, that's what I got planned for the next 20 years. Woohoo! You know, I'm never gonna run on anything to do. But I want an infrastructure bank set that up. I mean, that would do more to drive the development of that company. And then you have the the uh, the university, i.e., that is used. And the idea behind this university, uh, we're not talking about, we're talking about MIT-type stuff. I mean, I, if you're going to do this, then go whole hog, man. They ain't going to half-ass this one. <laughs> and one of the things that that county has right now, which has driven this. My family, my sister just finished up. She was the assistant superintendent of schools. And she has a life story that makes mine look like a abject failure. But anyway, but she's still not my intellectual. I don't care what anybody says, particularly her. Um, that county is a rural county. It's definitely a camp, but it has one of the best school systems in the entire state of Kentucky. I mean, when you come out of that high school, it, you know, you know something. I mean, you are, you are, have basic skill levels. They have a dropout rate of like 3%. Wow. Well, and it, that killed my sister. Just to have 3% of the, uh, hey man, we got to do something here, you know, that type of deal. But anyway, my point is, 
You have all this. Well, there's no jobs. There's no, what do you do? They have to move off. Okay, they have to move away. Well, okay, you go to college and you go, well, okay, let's do this this way. If you go to this high school, you're going to this university tuition free. And we're going to figure out how to get this done. I already know how to get it done, but I don't think I could talk to those people. But, but that's the other thing. It's, you, the governmental entity and the organizational entity, government is just, is just the working hand of the society, says we're going to achieve this. Well, you've got to talk all these people into this. And uh, then you've got to have an organization that can execute it, plan it, execute it, and get it done. Well, I'm going to move you here to move you here. Then I have an infrastructure bank. Now I have this talent pool. Then we reach out to uh, types of businesses, industries that you want. You, know, you don't want any more smelter plants in the area. I mean, our coal diggers. What you want is is uh, robotics. Uh, you know, cloud stuff. Anything. You know, that type of stuff. And I have the talent pool. It's well educated. They're not in debt up to their wazoo. And, uh, and you go to outside and says, okay, guys, this is what I got. What do you got? You've got a, you've got a processing, whatever, that needs to move here. And we have an infrastructure bank that will set up the facilities by which you can access those at a quote. And you just drive it. And then once you become successful, I kick you out and give somebody else a chance. I mean, you were already making enough money. Now go build your own building. Okay, and now we're going to put somebody else in there, and you just just keep it rolling. And I've been working on this for quite some time now. I've got some people back there interested in doing this. The last thing that I want to do myself, and the last thing I'm trying to get some of my friends to do, you know something now. You are well educated. You are you. You can't hope to be wise until you're at least 60 because you don't have enough personal experience. You just, I mean, that's what wisdom is. It's experience plus intellect. Apply it properly. Okay, well, I got, how many fish do you want to catch in your retirement? How many rounds of golf? My sister's a big golfer. She really got good. How many rounds of golf you want to play? Come on, man. Let's let's build something. Let's, let's really do something entertaining. Come on, let's go. And uh, I don't want this, all this talent pool, this intellect, this ability to retire on me because I need those guys to get this done. My job is to convince these people they need to be as weird as I am in order to do this. Let's do this and why this is a good thing. By the way, I'll name a street after you. I've already got a, my, my nephew with the, uh, the uh, machine business. He's already in, in it for a million dollars. He goes, I'm not giving you a million. He goes, he's got it. I said, yes, you are, buddy. <laughs> and he goes, well, tell me why. I said, because I'm going to put your name on the engineering building. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm going to appeal to everybody's vanity and desire to be remembered. Yeah, for a quarter million dollars dedicated to the, <laughs> I'll name a street after you. Yeah, you put in 1.22 million, uh, we'll name a building after you. You know, I'll create stuff we'll name after you, you know. Uh, uh, we're going to build one of the buildings, and we'll do it with these, this is pretty common, uh, you know, bricks. We had your, and you build it, and you basically, you buy a brick, you know, you pay two, three hundred dollars for a brick, and there's your, you know, this, that, and the other, there you go. 
and uh, your grandkids are going to go here for free. See, that's a big hook. This is about you taking care of your of your uh, progeny, and you'll never be you'll never be forgotten because they won't die. They'll be around forever. Now, get, I'm, granted, I'll have a nine-foot statue of me in the middle of the canvas, but <laughs> that's what my sister said. This is all about your ego, isn't it? I go, yeah, pretty much. But I'm going to do something good for my ego. You, on the other hand, are going to hit another 80 and around the golf, which, by the way, is quite, that's quite good, but you need to get over here. Hell, I've already, already got the first president of the university picked out if I can get this done in 10 years. She'll be around. She's great. She's already done. So I've already, I said, you got a job. Because what's that? So you're going to be the first, uh, the first uh, president of this university. She goes, I'm not working for you. I go, yeah, you are. <laughs> <laughs> you just don't have a choice yet. We'll figure this out. But uh, but you got to do that. That's that's what I'm going to be doing for the next. You know, getting my kids through and just that the other and blah blah blah, and just basically doing that till I fall over. Ah, one of the greatest assets that you could have. I was thinking about on the way over here, is good health. Is good health because in order you know if you have poor health it's kind of hard to keep all this stuff going right. but even that should not be a detriment to you because we have the perfect example Steve Hawking he was confined to that wheelchair for 30 years that way or more one of the greatest uh, minds the uh, human species ever produced and he was paralyzed for 30 years so even that should not stop you, unless you just you just give out, which he never did. But that's you know good health. You know that's that's pretty. And I'm, I'm right now I'm pretty. You know, although my wife has offered a couple of times to help me die from lead poisoning. I don't know what that was all about. But. <laughs> anyway, um, any other questions? Said no. Thank you so much, Mr. Steve. Oh, me. you're quite welcome. I, I I've enjoyed it more than you have. Believe me. Right, thank you. You're welcome.